I hear so many people say, even now still to me, like, why did you adopt a dog that you couldn't handle? And it's like, it's, it's not even a matter of, you know, that I couldn't handle him. It's just, it was hard and I tried. I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaiser van Overbeek, and on this podcast we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. Hey, I just want to put a quick um, trigger warning on this episode because we do talk about behavioral euthanasia. So if this is a topic that is still pretty raw for you or that it is something that you would prefer to not listen to, then you are definitely better off skipping this episode and waiting for next week's one to come out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another interview episode of Rough Around the Edges. And it almost becomes boring to say it, but of course, I'm not talking to someone in my own country. We're back to the U.S., this time to the East Coast, to Virginia, where I am talking to Logan about basically their two dogs, both Nobu, who is no longer with us, and Mona. And it's a whole story, which is best told by Logan themselves. So Logan, welcome on the podcast and over to you. Hi, Um, I guess I'll just start off with Nobu and where he came from and kind of, I guess, his story. So Nobu came from a dog meat farm in South Korea and was taken by the Humane Society along with, I I think the number was around 200 other dogs, and they were shipped over to the U.S. where they remained in quarantine for a few months, and then they were distributed out to shelters in the DMV area that is um, like D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, and all that. And my family and I were actually looking to adopt another dog because we had lost our two previous dogs, and we just, it was time. And we had previously owned Mastiffs in the past, so we knew we wanted another one. So, you know, we're scrolling, you know, on Pet Finder for, you know, dogs and shelters nearby. And then there was Nobu. And they said that he was a Tosa Inu and that he had some fear and anxiety when it comes to people and just in general. And so we're like, well, you know, we've we've dealt with scared dogs, you know, anxiety dogs with anxiety and fears before. So let's go check him out. Let's go meet him. And we did. And it was actually then that we actually found out where he came from and his story. And, you know, he's been through a lot. He spent four years at the dog meat farm and then was transferred over to the United States. And we, you know, thought he was a good fit. So we took him home and starting off, it was, I think, a lot more than we had originally anticipated. Um, he was very, very shut down, very scared. It was very hard to get him to go outside. Um, you didn't know what was going to scare him. It could be someone closing their car door. It could be a car running over like a manhole cover. 
It could be a baby stroller that he probably have saw that he saw for the first time in his life. He was just, everything was new to him and having not been exposed to it for his whole life, it, of course it was going to scare him. So a lot of, a lot of, I guess, working with him originally was just trying our best to get him to open up and to, to really just not be scared of the world and to not be scared of us. Um, of course, at this point in my life, I aligned most with balanced training. So I did put him in a lot of situations that he was not ready for, thinking that by exposing him to these things, he would just get over it. Um, of course, that's that definitely was not the case. Um, he would just get more scared. Um, I definitely have some regrets with how I first worked with him in the beginning, but you know, that's how the journey goes. You learn, yeah. you live and you learn and you, you know, you learn new things and you realize that there may be a better way of doing things. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think, sorry. Well, in the, <laughs> in the I meantime, I actually scary. question popped up for me already because yeah, um, I'm guessing you learned that he came from the dog meat trade and I have I want to say zero knowledge of how that works because when I um, hear a he and he's been there for four years, I like I've, I've no idea how that works. Was he used as a stud dog then, or because I can yeah. imagine like a, a female dog or a, a bitch being kept there and just you know like producing litter after litter, but I I don't know like if I hear dog meat trade, I'm like okay, so are they then just breeding him and then killing him and feeding him to someone or something or how like, how does that work have you done any investigating or do you know more about how that works and, and that's an excellent question and that's the reason why I think that when we see that these dogs from the dog meat trade end up in shelters we need to question a lot of things because unfortunately it's not uncommon for these dogs to be so-called rescued and the shelter say, hey, or the Humane Society say, hey, they're from the dog meat trade, but they really could have just been from puppy mills. And we don't we don't really know for sure. I know with Nobu's case, um, there was I mean, you can literally go to like the Humane Society's Facebook page and scroll all the way down to like October. I think it was October 2020. And they have pictures of like literally where he came from and where all the other dogs came from. And of course, as a bystander, I don't know for a fact if that was a dog meat farm. It could have been, it could not have been, but it's, it's a very complicated issue um, because it is, there's such high demand here in the U.S. to bring dogs in, to bring adoptable dogs in, not to say that a lot of these dogs are adoptable, but there's, there's high demand. And so we're looking in these other countries to bring these dogs over. And it's not the most ethical thing because we don't really, we don't really know every step of the process. I just know that he was brought over, he was put in quarantine and then he was um, distributed out to a shelter in Virginia where I found him. Um, I hope that answers your question because to be completely honest, I don't even know myself. Um, for sure, 100% exactly where he came from. And, and But the only thing you do know is he wasn't a puppy and he was a bit older already when he got there, when yep, he got he to was, the US, when you got him. Yep, he was um, aged to be about, they think, he, they think he was four years. Of course, that may, may or may not be 100% accurate. 
Um, uh, he was missing a lot of teeth. He had a lot of scars all over his body, which, you know, that could have been simply from being warehoused with other dogs in a small area and having to defend himself um, or, you know, just, I mean, what happens when you put, you know, three dogs in a small cage, they're, they're probably going to have scuffles over something. So that was my theory anyways. I know like the shelters, not my shelter, thankfully, but um, other people like to make up these stories that, oh, he was in a dog fighting ring. I, I don't know, to be completely honest. And, and I may never know. No, no, I, I, I was wondering it. And I think maybe, maybe that is the answer, right? That we don't know. I was, I was just, I have to say, I'm maybe blissfully unaware of what goes on in the dog meat trade because I might not want all that extra heaviness on my shoulders. Um, I was just thinking like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's breeding dogs for killing them for their meat. And I was wondering why would you keep a dog there for four years rather than kill it for its meat so again but but like you said it, it doesn't really matter <laughs> because we don't know he was older when he came to the u.s and he probably spent a lot of his time in his cage is roughly i guess what we need to know about him for the story yeah i mean the the only thing that i could really like confirm that he probably was kept in a confined space for a while was because he had pressure pressure sores on his elbows and on his hind legs which is a sign that a dog has been laying down in a confined position for a long period of time and you usually see it in like for example um, neglect cases where maybe it came from a hoarding situation and those dogs just have no space to like move around so they just stay in one spot for like a really long time that's the only thing that I can really but again when you're coming from when a dog is coming from a completely different country it may not be totally documented so yeah. we just don't know. So now Nobu is with you and is scared of basically everything because he's probably not, you know, being socialized. Well, he's not being socialized. I guess that's probably safe to say. Was it just things and objects? Um, was it people? Was it dogs or just, you know, the whole enchilada? Yeah, um, it was people, objects, um, sounds, especially he had some really bad sound phobia. Um, I mean, even hearing like running water, he would just run away and cower and start shaking. Um, I folded like a blanket in front of him and that scared him so bad that he like ran in the other direction across the house and he just did not want to come back to me. Um, it, it was just literally, you can name something and he was probably scared of it. It was, it was pretty bad. And like looking back from where I stand now, I'm like, wow, I probably should have gotten professional help a lot sooner instead of trying to take it all on myself. Um, another issue, I say issue, um, undesirable behavior that he did have was uh, he did have some resource guarding, mostly over his bed and uh, high value food items. Oddly enough, not like food in his bowl or anything like that, but if there was an unopened bag of food like sitting in the backyard, he would he would guard it. And, and I did seek professional help for that. Um, and we were able to work through it eventually further down the line. Um, he knew 
a really good leave it. I could recall him off of anything high value. And, and it was managed to a point where, you know, we didn't have to worry about it. And we were actively, you know, changing his emotions to how we, we all approached him. And, and it was around this point in time that, you know, Nobu was originally supposed to be the family dog, but he bonded really closely with me. And he did like my parents, but not really. Um, And I think that was mostly because early on, I did a lot of work with him. So he bonded really close with me. And then he just became my my personal dog. And so when you say like, I should have um, looked for professional help sooner, what was the the thing or the trigger for you to say okay now I'm I am bringing in the professional help and like after after how much time was that um I would say it was probably maybe about four months it was when he snapped at my dad who went to go pet him while he was on his bed and that was when we realized oh there's a resource guarding issue you know, and I think that when, when we realized that there was the potential of him biting, that was when we reached out professionally, um, because he obviously is a very strong, very large dog. Um, and we knew that at that point he was capable of damage. So we got help, um, with his resource guarding. Okay. And was that because you were saying like, at the time I was using the more, more balanced training approach was the trainer that you enlisted also a balanced trainer at that time? So he was, he was um, a balanced trainer, but it's, it's interesting because I would actually consider him. um, And I know subjectively good can mean different for many different people, but when you're a good trainer, whether you are Lima, Lima, um, force free or balanced, when it comes to certain issues, your morals and how you actually deal with it will be very similar when we dealt with Nobu's resource guarding, there was absolutely no like compulsion, no positive punishment, no negative reinforcement was used. It was literally like the same protocol that I've seen force-free and Lima trainers use when it comes to resource guarding. Like for example, this is obviously very oversimplified, <laughs> but you know, throwing food at them when you approach them so that you know their emotion changes with your approach. That was what we did a lot of. Um, was just changing his underlying emotions. Not once was it recommended to correct him or anything like that. Okay. And so when you said earlier, I did put him in situations, um, you know, that he wasn't ready for and trying to, you know, get him over it. Was that also on the recommendation of a trainer or was that sort of still based on, yeah, what all of us have heard and what all of us, you know, thought made complete sense? Yeah, it was mostly what all of us have heard. You know, you see very popular trainers on social media, um, you know, taking a dog by a slip lead and just dragging them, not dragging them literally. Well, some people literally, yeah, but, (laughs) you know, taking them into situations where they're definitely not ready for just a lot of flooding. Um, And I just remember, like, instead of um, building Nobu up to going outside, I would literally just take him out and we would have to do a certain route. And if he wanted to run back home, I was like, nope, we can't run back home. We have to keep going. And, and like looking back now, I'm like, oh my God, why did I do that? You know, um, 
because I believe that if if I put him through that stress, he would just get over it, um, which I know now uh, a dog who perceives a threat, whether it's real or not, is still going to perceive it the same way and be very scared. Yeah, it's just a matter of, we're suppressing it. Um, but and and so what? When did that change? When did the, you his, his fears and everything? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, his fears and then also how you approached it. Was it just because at one point you saw, okay, I'm, you know, like I'm trying to finish my round. I'm trying to get him to do that like full pre-planned walk that I have set out, but he's only getting um, more scared or um, like, tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So it was probably shortly after my fall semester of of college so probably around um december of the year that i got him in february so almost a full year has gone by at this point and so in december was probably when i realized like i i need to change because he was starting to like for a while his behavior was suppressed and he wasn't running away he wasn't like you know, like lunging so hard at the end of his leash to get away from whatever was scaring him. And to me, that to me at that point, that behavior was solved, quote, solved, yeah. um, because he wasn't doing that anymore. But in towards the end of the year, it got worse again, like, like totally flighty, like literally like he would pull so hard into like his slip lead or his flat collar to try and get away from whatever it was that I was like, this is not working. Like I need to change my behavior. And it's all thanks to some mutuals who I, who actually consider really good friends now on social media who were either crossover trainers, you know, or certified professionals on social media who would label themselves under Lima or force free that I was like, I can do, I can achieve behavior modification without aversives, without positive punishment or negative reinforcement. I was like, I can do that. And then that was like a no brainer to me. I literally thought that balanced (laughs) training was the only way. I seriously thought that it was the only way to solve any sort of behavior modification. So when I heard that there was another way to do it, I was like, I want to do that. Um, Especially when I have such a scared dog. And it was hard at first. It was really hard switching over. I I did it cold turkey, which I probably should not have done. Um, I would say that the only sort of thing, aversive thing that I kept with me from balance training was using an aversive tool on him because it was very hard for me to control him physically when he did get scared. I he was just so strong that he would overpower me. And I was seriously scared of him getting away from me or getting hurt. So for the longest time, I still use the slip lead on him despite sort of crossing over in other ways and learning management techniques, like look at that or magnet hand or like, you know, you turning away from a trigger or whatever, or from something that might scare him was really hard to get down at first. And I messed it up because I would practice it only in the context of triggers. 
And then I realized that, oh, I need to practice these things outside of it, outside of triggers in order to really start using them for it to start working. And another thing that was not emphasized to me as much from balanced trainers when I was balanced was meeting all of Nobu's needs. So looking at things like enrichment and decompression walks and having like the outlet to do dog behavior things like tearing stuff up. I was not really doing that previously, mostly because it just wasn't emphasized to me in the community that I was in. But when I switched over, I learned about all these ways to meet his needs for enrichment and decompression walks really became our go-to. I would find a place that I knew that there was a very low chance of a trigger appearing so that he could just be a dog, have free body movement on a long line, and finally like be at peace. (laughs) And for us, that was a dog-friendly cemetery that was literally like a three-minute walk down the road, which was really helpful. And there was, there's this part in the cemetery that it's is so incredibly old. Um, it like the headstones range from like the 17 to 1800s, very, very old. And the cemetery actually encourages you to explore it and because it's just not maintained anymore. So it was like perfect because we barely ran into anyone, no wow. cars, no loud noises, nothing. I mean, yeah, we saw wildlife, we saw deer and everything, but it was just like, it really became this like pivotal moment in my training where I'm like, this might actually work. And me doing those decompression walks every single day, I saw, I saw just a huge improvement in his behavior alone. Like I could actually walk him around people. I could actually like take him places and he was just so much calmer. And by meeting his needs in other places, it was almost Um, it was almost like raising his threshold so he could actually handle more and we could actually train and we could actually like take steps forward. And it was like night and day. And it was so amazing. And he, he was doing so, so incredibly well with his fear. He was even starting to become interested in people. I never once expected him to actually love strangers, but he was actually starting to become interested in people and learn that they weren't such a scary thing. And he would like want to hang out, you know, with strangers, which is like, was not how he was when I first got him. So it was like really, really amazing to see. Wow. Okay. Before I let you continue on that, I have another question about you saying that when you switch over that it was really hard and that in hindsight, maybe you should not have done it cold turkey. Like if you had to describe what was so hard about it. Could, could you and, and maybe elaborate on the, oh, the cold turkey part was hard as well? Yeah. So I think first, one of the hardest part about it was that I had to completely change my way of thinking when it came to training. So instead of correcting when things go wrong, it was all about preventing those things from going wrong in the first place. And I had a really hard time figuring out how do I prevent him from rehearsing behaviors? How do I keep him under threshold? And I just, I just genuinely did not know how to do it because I was so used to, oh, putting him in a situation that he might not be ready for. And when things go wrong, just correct it to stop the behavior. It was just a totally new way of thinking for me. And I think that the whole cold turkey thing is just like completely getting rid of, you know, 
all negative reinforcement, all positive punishment. And I think that a better transition would have been maybe to, I wouldn't say continue to use it as much, but use it just slightly less because I wasn't as well versed in my management techniques at the time. So for a while, I had absolutely no way to prevent the behavior, whether it was through active management or from corrections. I had absolutely no way to manage it. And for a while, we saw an even worse regression because I had just thrown everything out the window (laughs) and was trying these management techniques that I had not even close to mastered yet. Um, Not to say that I would want to continue suppressing his behavior, but I think that when it came to transitioning, it may have been more beneficial to do it to a lesser extent while I was transitioning over. Because I can imagine then actually the overwhelm and the frustration and were on your side in that case. Like, okay, I want to go for this new way of doing it, but without basically having all the tools already in the toolbox to be able to do it. Like I can imagine, but I'm not sure if that is true. Like if you comment on that, like, was there a lot of, um, I don't know, like beating yourself up over how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. Why isn't this working? Was there a lot of that extra layer of, of, guilt that I see a lot of people put on themselves that I've actually also put on myself. So I'm speaking from experience Um, or would you see it differently? No, I I definitely felt a lot of guilt because I felt like I couldn't help him in that, you know, it's like, I hear so many people say, even now still to me, like, why did you adopt a dog that you couldn't handle? And it's like, it's, it's not even a matter of, you know, that I couldn't handle him. It's just, it was hard. And I tried and I tried really, really hard. And I felt so hopeless and so guilty that I, I couldn't help him. I, I felt like I was failing him. If that makes sense. I genuinely felt like I was failing him. Like, oh, I had put you through all this pain and suppression to start off. And now I can't even master this new technique and we're regressing and you're regressing and you're doing worse. And I, I felt like, you know, like I had put him through all this pain already. And then I'm just making, I'm continuing to make it worse despite me trying to make it better. Do you remember what the way out of that feeling was, or was that just seeing his progress? I think seeing his progress played a huge part, but there was something so blissful about, sorry, I'm getting emotional, but, um, there there was excuse me there was something truly blissful about walking with him in that cemetery that was just like maybe I maybe I can do this because even at that point when excuse me management wasn't when I was still trying to master the um the management techniques you know being in the cemetery of course there were no triggers there was nothing to scare him so I didn't even have to worry about having to correct him or trying to use a management techniques that I couldn't use yet. And just seeing him act like a, a quote, normal dog, normal. of course, there's, there's no such thing as normal, but to see him act like even remotely normal was just amazing to me. Like, like that, that gave me a little bit of hope, like, wow, in the right environment, he can thrive. Now I just have to build him up slowly to 
environments that he has a much more difficult time with. Um, just, just seeing him be truly happy running through the forest, that gave me hope. And so this is a nice way back to where, where we were just before, where you were saying like, okay, so now I've, I'm, I'm looking at all these new techniques and I'm starting to see um, like what I'm missing, for example, training those techniques away yeah. from triggers, um, yeah. things like that. Like in hindsight, of course, everybody's, yeah, of course, but this is our journey, right? This is how it, it works. We, we are not professional trainers. Um, and, you know, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. And a lot of people maybe who have, quote unquote, normal dogs have no idea that there is a difference between like a little bit scared dog and a dog like Nobu, for example, who's coming from a situation that most people can't even imagine me included. Yeah. Um. So so now you're you're on this new trajectory and there's a, at least that glimmer of hope. And then yeah. w what happened from from that point on? Well, he... Once I really figured out how to use management, we made a lot of progress. Like seriously, I, of course, I, I would argue that if Nobu was still here today, he, um, he probably would have had to have some sort of accommodations or management for the rest of his life. And I, I don't deny that, but we were at a point where I was literally like taking him out on hikes with other people. I was walking him through through the city <laughs> and he was fine um he may have needed a little help along the way like you know maybe there was a loud cart down the street that startled him a little bit but you know he had gotten so well that his recovery time was great I could just like for example do a u-turn at that point feed him and then continue walking and he he would just handle it totally fine I, I wouldn't say that he was cured but we were at a point where he seemed like a normal dog, normal <laughs> dog to a lot of people, in including me. Um, and it was just, it was bliss. And I was considering getting him into like rally or scent work or some sort of, you know, AKC sport that I think that he would enjoy and that I think he'd, he'd do well in. Um, and it, and it wasn't long <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't long after this blissful moment where he just he just suddenly started acting aggressively. Um, and I, I say suddenly because it just like actions that were completely safe to do with him, even from the very beginning, um, were no longer maybe were no longer safe. And he would be okay with something one day and not okay with something the next day and it was like there were these invisible boundaries that I never knew that I was crossing um and for a dog that you know trusts you and only you and has bonded with you so closely is suddenly trying to bite you it's 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 heartbreaking and and it's scary and it's interesting because Having learned everything and transitioning over to the force-free community, I was much more open to, not open to, but I was much more adamant about getting professional help for Nobu. 
um, for some reason in the balance community, it felt very DIY to me. But <laughs> when it came to force free, I was like, I need help. And literally the first time that Nobu successfully bit me, I was like, I need to hire a professional. And the first thing that I did was that, you know, I read up on all of, you know, the certifications that, a, you know, a dog trainer or a behaviorist can have. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I immediately started looking into it, you know, looking at trainers near me and I found someone and I saw her and it was just really weird because Nobu acted normally. Like we could not even get him to replicate the behavior that happened, which was very scary for me. And it was kind of, it was confusing almost. I could not get him to replicate or even like show signs before that behavior where he had bit me or where he had acted aggressively. And it was when just he, like- When he under- had bit you, just to ask, was that what what we would call a redirection bite or- was it something that came out of out of the blue? How? What? Yeah, it it sort of it, it came out of the blue. There was there was no like body language that I could figure out or that I could see that determined that hey he was going to bite me, and it it happened when I had called him over. Because, of course, he's a Mastiff, so he was a very drooly dog. (laughs) And I went to go wipe his mouth with a paper towel, something that I've done thousands, thousands of times. And and he, he just suddenly lashed out and bit me. And then as fast as it happened, it ended. And he was totally fine, totally loose body language. And I was just like, that was weird. And, and the issue is, is that his behavior continued to escalate. So, and it's funny because after that day, I had no problem wiping his face after that, literally no issues. It was like, it was just random actions. He would be fine. He would be not fine with it one day, but then he would be fine with it. Like from then on, it was just, Hmm. it's, it's really hard to describe. And he, and I started getting more. And at that point I was like, oh, maybe it's, he's like resource guarding again or something, you know? And, but his aggressive behavior started, I'll say leaking into other things that made me realize that this might be like more concerning. Um, For some reason, every time I would turn off the light at night, um, he would just growl at me. He would literally get up off his bed and he would growl at me and his hackles would raise and I turned the light on and then he was fine. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that was weird. (laughs) Are we sleeping with the light on from now on? (laughs) So I actually, yeah, at that point I was like, I feel unsafe. So I literally started putting him in his crate at night, which I didn't want to do but I literally felt unsafe about it. And of course I'm working with trainers in the background, you know, maybe it's sundowners, but he also shows these random behaviors in other places. For example, um, one time I was sitting at my desk uh, doing schoolwork and he was napping on his bed and he literally just like woke up from his nap and like growled at me. And it was just the 
it was just the strangest thing ever. And he had never shown any behavior like this previously. Um, and, and I, and I could never, I, I won't say never, but it was just really hard to work with trainers because we really couldn't get him to replicate the behavior or to show signs of it. And, and, and not to say that, you know, when it comes to training, you have to see the behavior happen in order, you know, to figure out what's wrong, but it, we just couldn't get him to replicate the behavior. And, and it got to the point where I was literally filming like my room or using an, an automated camera on the phone so that maybe one day I'll capture the behavior and I can show a trainer and I've, and I would like have him evaluated by someone and I would tell them exactly, you know, by certified behaviors, I would tell them what was going on. This is what happened. I, you know, I did not notice any body language before it happened. He successfully bit me and and it's like we, it was just hard to formulate a plan to help him because we didn't know what was causing it and we couldn't get him to replicate the behavior. So then we started things like, okay, here are some management techniques to help. You know, we can, we can create him, we can, you know, meet his needs safely, you know, with a muzzle on, and then we can create him. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And he had like bit my dad, he and it, and it was the final attack um, earlier this summer that really led to me thinking like, I really need to start considering behavioral euthanasia. And something I meant to mention earlier, but forgot to, was that this entire time I was in, I was very much in denial about how dangerous he was and how unpredictable he was. And I think that's because I saw so much good in him that I just, I didn't want to believe that it was an issue and I didn't want to believe that it was going to get worse. And I honestly still have trouble talking about certain times where he did attack me because it was scary. And I did not want to believe that he was capable of doing something like that. And sorry, I don't want to get emotional. Um, and I knew that it was like only a matter of time before someone else was going to get hurt. Um, because so how, no how is that playing him. out for you at that point? Because on the one hand, he's bit you. And I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what that does to you emotionally. Because you're, you're telling me, like, well, I'm, I'm, and now I'm working with trainers because he's bit me. I need help. And we're thinking about creating and not. But in the meantime, you're looking at the dog you love so much knowing that he bit you and i mean I'm, I'm i'm just wondering how that feels because you can imagine there might be other people that say okay my dog bites me he's out and you're seeing i'm is there like this duality of i love my dog he bit me like how did how did you cope did you push it aside did you were you just kind of like like you said in denial of just not going to think about him biting me or what did you do when the feelings came up i'm Okay, those were a lot of questions in one. But yeah, no, no, it's it's okay. I understand. Um, I I honestly, I I literally pushed it to the side. I was just, I was seriously in complete denial that he was dangerous. I I was 
And it's interesting because I was actually frustrated when it happened because I didn't I didn't understand why it was happening. And a part of me, you know, blamed myself like, oh, maybe I scared him with the paper towel or something like that. You know, like maybe I scared him with the paper towel. Maybe I did it too quickly. Maybe he wasn't ready for some reason, even though, again, this I had been wiping his mouth from the very beginning with no issues. You know, I've done that thousands and thousands of times, but I was still like, you know, maybe I did something, you know, I need to change the way I do things. Um, I essentially was just putting a lot of the blame on myself. And again, kind of like with, you know, switching over and everything, I was putting a lot of blame on myself and thinking that there was something wrong with me. Um, and, and it was hard because I had to micromanage our days to the extreme to make sure that something wouldn't happen. And I was, I was seriously scared of him <laughs> um, for a while. It, was, it felt horrible and heartbreaking being scared of the dog that you love so much. And that you've spent so much time and like effort on and and so how long have you yeah. had him at this point um at this point it was it was literally just over a year not that long um and you know and at some point you know talking to my you know behaviorist um and I know I, I know I probably should have went to the vet first but for some reason, you know, my first thought was, oh, behavior. Um, and, you know, she's like, you need to, you know, you need to go see a vet and rule out pain or any other sort of medical condition. And, you know, it took him to the vet and, you know, they ran some tests and they're like, we, we can't find anything wrong with him. And of course, at the vet, he acts completely fine. I had him muzzled for their safety just in case, but he was fine um, physically. And, and it was just like, like, like what's wrong? Um, it sounds like a Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde, or is the other way around? Jekyll and Hyde type thing yeah. in your dog, you know, on the one yeah, going from completely yeah. lovable to unexpected. And, and it's it's interesting because even even during the time period where he was where he was acting aggressively, um, he he was fine. Like a lot of the time, as as weird as that sounds, he was fine. Like we'd go days without having any issues, and then a, and then something would happen, and then everything would be fine again. And I I continued life as normally as I could, you know, really in denial about it. And, and, it, and it didn't really hit me until I was managing him so much that, that he was like in the crate or locked up in my room because I was scared of him. And, and then of course he, um, attacked my dad and that was when it like really hit me and I was just in denial this whole time and I and I actually feel guilty about being in denial about his behavior because because I feel like by keeping him alive I it got worse um and not only did he get worse mentally but 
um, ended up hurting people I love, like my dad, for example. Um, and I could just tell that Nobu was not happy at that point because, of course, he came from a situation where he was probably confined for a majority of his life. And here I was confining him. And, mm-hmm. and I felt really guilty about that. And that was when I really started considering, like, does this have to come down to behavioral euthanasia? And, of course, I talked to the trainers and the behaviorists and the vets that I'd worked with um, and their opinion on it. And they supported it. And I consulted a new behaviorist, you know, just just to check, just to make sure, um, to see if this is really the choice that I wanted to make. Um, and, and they supported that decision too. And then of course, you know, I talked to my parents about it because as, as much as we were all scared of Nobu, we all loved him. Um, even if he didn't really love my parents compared to me, of course, um, uh, they loved him just as much as I did. And I talked to them about it, and they supported me too. So it came down to that, unfortunately. Sorry, I don't mean to cry so much, but but maybe I need this. I was <laughs> um, gonna say I I have I've done a podcast episode where I say people shouldn't apologize for crying and just cry their eyes out whenever they want. So I stand yeah. by what I said there fully. Cool. Um, but and then of course there was a whole new world of fear and it was wondering if the vets were going to um if the the hospital not the hospital the veterinary clinic that we were putting him down at was going to support the decision of behavioral euthanasia um because it was different from the vets that i had worked with previously and that was a whole nother fear of mine was that what if i make that call and they say, no, we're not putting a dog down for behavioral reasons. Um, because there are still vets out there who think that you can save them all and that if the dog is physically healthy, then they should not be put down. And I was so terrified that I would get to that clinic and they would just deny me and deny Nobu peace. Um, um, thankfully, it went well. And you know, we talked to the vet about it and she was like, I think that sounds like a more than sufficient reason to, you know, behaviorally euthanize a dog. Of course, I had brought stuff with me just in case um, to sort of like prove and document that, you know, this is what had happened. And I had my behaviorist that I talked to, the, the newest one, who was ready to recommend a vet just in case ours did not support that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, and of course that that's I I didn't want, you know, Nobu's journey to end that way. I don't I don't think anyone wanted um Nobu's journey to end that way, but unfortunately, um that's what happened. And I I feel relieved knowing that he is at peace. Um, but I also, you know, peace once and for all, but also I feel relieved that um and this is sort of something that I refrain from talking on social media just because I know that people are going to take it the wrong way. 
but um when when you've dealt with a dog who's really dangerous and that you're scared of and you finally put them to rest you feel relief because they're no longer in your life as crazy as that sounds um I think that's a sentiment that's very close to what Megan um, also voiced in the episode that I taped with her on on her dog, Sunny. Um, I think she put it as the the day that Sunny um, gained his wings, I also gained mine. And I think that's very much the sentiment that you were describing as well. I think I can imagine when you've been living on edge for so long and all of that stress you know, that was there suddenly dissipates where you're not, you know, having to be worried about flipping a light switch that does something. No, definitely. Um, I, I didn't realize, I guess, until Nobu was gone, how much he had really restricted my life and how much I was really not getting out at that point uh, because I felt like I couldn't leave him alone. I, I couldn't let other people watch him, obviously. I didn't want to leave him in the crate because I felt bad. And it was just, I had, like, micromanaged my life to the extreme. And I would literally have to wake up and think about things down to the minute minute of how my day was going to go to make sure that I was safe. And that was incredibly stressful. Um And it's funny because even having a puppy now, who's a lot of work, I feel so much more relieved with a puppy than I did with Nobu because I have my freedom back and I don't feel unsafe anymore. This is maybe a a nice segue to transition to talking about Mona, your new dog, although I guess before we get away from maybe what we call heaviness i i would want to ask you like how was how did that process go like how long of a period was there between uh nobu's death and you maybe even starting to think about getting another dog like how did that process go because i'm guessing there's both the relief that you just described of all of that tension falling away but then there's um the sadness and i'm guessing maybe some self-judgment as well like i okay let's talk social media for a second and how everybody has an opinion like i can imagine people screaming like what you couldn't take care of the one dog you had to put that one to sleep and now you're getting another one people like you should never in your life ever be allowed to have another dog something like that you know, oh, like yeah. there, there's um, all of that that's pro- that's floating around the internet, and that's probably influencing yeah. you as well. There's the grief. Yeah. There's everything. So how does how did that play out? Well, originally it was actually I I posted a TikTok and an Instagram explaining what happened, and I actually turned off social media for like a few days. I was like, I'm gonna post and then I'm gonna ghost for a little bit because I was just so scared of you know, what was going to be said. And thankfully, originally, what the feedback that I received mostly from mutuals and followers and the little community of wonderful people that I have built myself, um, of course, all supported me and my decision were so kind, so welcoming, you know, everyone reached out, and it was great. Um, And then (laughs) 
someone found Nova's TikTok that where I explained what happened and they posted it to the subreddit uh, Band Pipples. And it was at that moment that I started getting a lot of nasty um, comments and a lot of nasty feedback. Um, mostly people saying some really horrible things like they are glad Nobu's. It's interesting. I've I've gotten things from both sides of the spectrum. I've gotten people saying like like you you killed your dog. How dare you? You didn't try. Like you didn't care about him. But then I also had people saying, I'm so glad your dog is dead. And, you know, saying like really horrible things on both sides of the spectrum. And, and I wasn't really bothered by it at first. I was like, you know, like I told myself, you know, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to continue to talk about it and not care about what these people are thinking, because I know that I made the right choice for Nobu and no, no one else could has a right to even say otherwise because they didn't even deal with his case and they don't have the certifications of course to help with that and at first everything was going okay for a little bit and I I would even laugh at some of the crazy things that people were saying about Nobu and and it was going okay and then the same person who posted me who posted about me on the subreddit kept posting about me on the subreddit including when I got Mona and of course their comment was something along the lines of oh look this person killed their dog and now they have another dangerous breed um they got another dangerous breed and it's like okay (laughs) and then people were saying things like oh well I hope Mona turns on you one day you know, how dare you get another dangerous breed and you bring another dangerous breed into this world. And, and I will talk a little bit now about the, uh, the period, I guess. I, I did not wait that long, actually, to consider getting another dog. Like, literally a week. And I know that's a very short period. I was talking to my parents about it and my therapist and even, like, my friends and just this wonderful support group of people that I have. And they're like, they're like, we're concerned about you. And I'm like, how so? And they're like, well, we think you should get another dog. And it's funny because I was already thinking about getting another dog. But I think to know that my my friends, my parents, my therapist supported me in getting another dog, I was like, okay, then I'm, I'm going to look. And of course, I told myself after Nobu that I wanted a dog from a reputable breeder because my family has adopted all of their life and every single dog except for like I think one or two that my family has adopted have all had some sort of behavior issue or you know behavior that makes it very hard to to live with or they've had some really tragic medical issue where um it's something that could have easily been preventable with uh, reputable breeding and you know health testing and all of those wonderful things and I told myself I wanted my next dog to be from a reputable breeder to have the odds of course nothing's 100% but to have the odds in my favor when it comes to good temperament and good health and you know having support from the breeder if something were to go wrong and I knew that my chances of getting a dog from a good breeder 
um, in such a short time span was really low. Like I thought, oh, I might have to wait like as little as three months and, you know, as at most six months. Right. Um, But I knew that I wanted my well. I had a couple of breeds in mind, but I've always wanted to um, have an American Staffordshire Terrier ever since I was little. <laughs> I've always wanted one, and I know that I can handle one based on the research that I've done. And with my new dog, I knew that I wanted to do sports with them, and I wanted to be relatively active with them, go hiking, which is like what I did with Nobu, for example, a lot of the time. And I was looking up uh, American Staffordshire Terrier breeders on the East Coast, and I found one who just so happened to have um, one more puppy left from a litter who uh, she had to go to either a show or sport home and the breeder had no one lined up for um, a show or a sport home. And I actually looked at this breeder in the past um, and she was on my list in the past and I've always kept her in mind. I've just never reached out to her for anything. Cause of course at that point in time, I wasn't even looking to no. really get a dog. Um, but you know, I saw that and I messaged her and I'm like, Hey, is, is she still available? Of course I, I filled out the form. I emailed her. I introduced myself. Um, she ended up interviewing me and everything to see if I was a good fit. Um, and it just it just worked out that way it was like all the puzzle pieces just fitted together and I, and I got so incredibly lucky because uh, she told me that um, people that she had lined up uh, only wanted pet homes and she wanted to send uh, this puppy Mona to a show or sport home and so I fulfilled that role and she thought that I would be a good fit and I drove nine hours to get her (laughs) and that's how she ended up um, with me and and of course you know back to the whole social media thing and you know making Mona's uh, arrival public to everyone because of course I was nervous about that too Um, of course you know the community that I had built for myself everyone supported me all of my friends all my followers yeah no I'm I someone I forget who it was but someone literally commented that Mona's gonna have the best internet family ever and I'm like you could not have said it better (laughs) like I I have taken the time to really build such a wonderful group of people and and if it weren't for them I would not have been able to get through the onslaught of hate and the and the person who was posting about me on the subreddit ban pimples and so going back to that that second post about me kind of bothered me and I forgot to mention this but the first post that they made initially initially about Nobu um I told myself I was not going to read the comments I was not going to read what people were saying about me and I didn't I to this day, I still have no idea what the true contents of that post said. I just know that they posted about me. And as a result, people were coming over from that group and saying these terrible things about Nobu. And the second post that was made about me, about Mona, um, I did read the comments and I did look at what they were saying. And I was really shocked because I get it. There are people who do not like bull breeds. Um, so like American Bullies, American Pitbull Terriers, American Staffordshire Terriers, the list goes on. I get that there are people who don't like them 
And although they may be coming from an uneducated standpoint, I'm like, I get it. I respect it. Whatever. Right. But people were actually not even talking about Mona. They were actually attacking me as an individual um, and saying things about like my appearance. Like they're like, oh, of course, um, they were misgendering me, too, despite actually other people in the group correcting them. And they were saying things like, oh, of course, the girl with the purple hair. No one takes a girl with the purple hair seriously. Um, like they were saying things like I had um, like fetal alcohol syndrome, like just attacking my appearance and just all these like really crazy things. And I was like, they're not even focusing on Mona. Really on the issue at hand. <laughs> yeah, on the issue at hand. And, and it was even more interesting because I saw OP had posted that I didn't even realize this, but they actually didn't label Nobu correctly. They literally called him a pit bull mix on purpose, I think, to fuel their hateful agenda. Um, and of course, everyone believed that I had purposefully bought and sought out a Tosa pit bull mix, which is not true. Um, and they were also, OP was also saying these really just wild things about how, like, um, just in general about how I, I am purposefully seeking out dangerous dogs so I can make money off of TikTok. And I was shocked that people were actually believing that, like people were believing that and, and agreeing. And I'm like, what on earth is, is like going on? Um, and he also, OP, I say he, of course, I don't know. OP was also, um, just saying things about how like Nobu like mauled other people. And I'm like, I never once put other people in danger. And I was very careful about how I handled Nobu in public. God forbid if anything were to happen. And when it was even getting bad, I didn't even take him out into public because I was worried. Right. Yeah. Um, but this person was just really representing who I am as a person and just lying about me. And then I was just like, okay, like I'll ignore it, whatever. But then I was posted about a third time by the same oh, person. Fun. And it was at that point that I was like, I'm tired of this because people were actually trying to figure out my personal information. People were trying to um, find information on my breeder. And I really did not want hate coming her way. Um, and it was just a lot. And it got to the point where I actually felt unsafe. And it wasn't until then that all the hate was really starting to affect me because I felt like, like I was thinking crazy things. Like what if someone recognized me in public, you know, yeah. because these people were trying to figure out personal information about me. And I felt like, and it's interesting because at that moment in time, I was also hitting like a thousand followers on Instagram and I had planned on doing an introduction post and talking about me, but I didn't, I was, I didn't feel safe talking about me because I was getting all these crazy people coming over to my account and just saying all these horrible things and trying to figure out personal information. I had disabled my personal Instagram account for a while because I was just like really concerned. And, and I'm like trying to think, is there anything that I can do to get this to stop? And I took the leap and I messaged actually the moderators of that subreddit. Um, which I thought, okay, this could go of two ways. They could see me as a human being and take down the posts, or they could just laugh at me and not care, right? 
And say that's and what you get for putting your life on social media to a vlog. Actually, <laughs> actually they did say that, but I'll, I'll get to that part. Um, I I read their rules as a group, and it's interesting because the group specifically states they are not a hate group and that they do not tolerate bullying or harassment or attacking anything about the person other than the subject at hand. That didn't happen. And I basically messaged them and I only focused on their rules. And I only focused on the fact that I was being misrepresented as a person and that because I was like, I was being made up to be this person who believes in like the nanny dogs and believes in like, oh, like no dog can do no harm. If I believe that, I wouldn't have put Nobu down. But anyways, and I was just like, I basically focused on the facts and I did not try to attack them for their stance on bullet breeds or anything like that and I was very thankful that the moderator who responded to me saw me as a human being took down all the posts and talked to OP about posting about me in the future and although they did say you need to be careful about putting yourself out on the internet I was just like whatever at least they finally took the post down and then things started looking up again with social media and and then I told myself, well, I'm going to continue to talk about behavioral euthanasia because I saw that even though I had gotten this you know, onslaught of just hate, there were people reaching out to me personally and being like, hey, I haven't told anyone this. I put down my dog for behavioral reasons X amount of time ago, and I really appreciate you talking about it. And then I started having people saying, you changed my mind about behavioral euthanasia. You know, Keep talking about mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I should keep talking about it. So I keep talking about it. And just recently, one of my posts um, on a reel on Instagram has blown up. It has over 200,000 views. It's like reaching 300,000. And it made it to the right people's pages. Because if you look on the comment section in that post, it is just lots and lots of people saying, I had to go through this. Thank you so much for talking about it. I didn't know that there were other people talking about this sort of thing. And I want, and I wish people would talk about it more. And even though I get like people saying like, you murdered your dog or just like, really just like, I honestly, I laugh at those comments now because I'm like, you have no idea, buddy. You know, like you have no clue what's going on. Um, It's just, I take a lot of comfort too in knowing that there are so many people who went through the same thing as me and that it's, it happens more often, sadly, than you think. Behavioral euthanasia happens a lot more often than people think. I even found out that some people in my personal life even put down their dog for behavioral reasons and I had no idea. And they did not share that with me until I shared what I did with Nobu. And of course, I don't expect anyone to share because I get it. It's scary when you have, you know, people who can be so opinionated and so, and have such lack of compassion about it. But I feel like as a whole, we all need to talk about it more or try to talk about it more, Um, which I guess is what I'm really trying to accomplish now, even with Mona and with Nobu no longer being here. Talking about things is so, so important, which I, I also, I think I, sh- I shared one of your reels. I don't know if it was that reel, the one that 
um, blew up and I had someone comment on that and they said like, I, something along the lines of, I just, I just can't imagine. And I think maybe that is the right sentiment to have. You, exactly. You can't imagine until you have been in that situation, until you have had to make this decision and just, I guess, pray and hope that you never have to be able to imagine that you never have to know what it's what it's like but let's not diminish the pain and the suffering of the people that have had to make the decision no one who loves their dog no one makes that decision lightly it's and and i think the common thread that i hear when i talk to people about it is almost all of them voice regret in the sense of I let it go on too long. I regret not having made the decision earlier because I've put, you know, like myself in danger and I've actually had my dog hurt for longer than they needed to. No, and I definitely feel that sentiment. And sorry not to interrupt you. No, no, it's okay. Um, I definitely feel that sentiment. And it's interesting because I actually don't feel guilty for putting Nobu down I feel guilty for letting it go on for too long and not considering it sooner um because like I said I was in denial about how dangerous he was and of course there I talk a lot about the safety of others when it comes to Nobu being dangerous but I also talk I also want to talk about his his mental well-being every time he would have like an aggressive outburst, I I didn't even know like what dog I was looking at. It was very evident. He was not acting himself. He was confused. He was scared. And, and the more and more it happened, the more I could see that he was unhappy, like outside of those aggressive outbursts too, because he just did not know what was going on and his quality of life was declining. And sometimes I like to harp on that aspect of it because some people, unfortunately, care way more about dogs than humans. And instead of having compassion for humans, they only, only, only have compassion for dogs. So I try to actually harp on Nobu's mental well-being to try and appeal to their side and try to, you know, maybe I can help someone understand a little bit more. And I don't ever expect people to agree or to support me, but I do at least expect them to just say, hey, I'm sorry for your loss. And sometimes I wish that people would just stop there. I'm sorry for your loss. You don't have to be like, but why did you do this? But why didn't you try this? You didn't get an official diagnosis. And it's just... I don't know. It's so complicated. And I, and I think people think it's black and white and it's not, it's, it's not that easy. For for sure. I'm just thinking if you had to think back, what was the mindset that you had or that you adopted maybe that allowed you to both deal with the Reddit thread and stay so factual that allowed you to deal with the haters and also like be okay you know with getting your new puppy and focusing on all the the positives that you know came from your support community i mean i i I did gather from all of this that the community and the support were instrumental 
but could you pinpoint something about your own mindset? Like what was your thinking like that allowed you to, to look at it that way? Um, about my own personal thinking, I just, I think that it felt good to actually just talk about it in general for me personally, um, regardless of what other people thought or if people were pushing me to talk about it, just sharing there's something about just sharing things to, to random people on the internet that feels so much better because if it's, it's almost like if it's not someone that I know personally, it's just, for some reason, it's just so much easier for me to talk about it. But also I think that having Mona actually gave me the strength to talk about it more. Um, I think that dogs help us in so many ways that we don't understand or sorry, think that dogs help us in so many ways that um that we just don't even realize and just having Mona there I think gave me the strength to talk about it um I don't know if that helps answer your question at all no it it does very much well let's talk about um Mona because yeah I, I mean I can imagine that this experience is completely different and I can imagine yeah. probably you're thinking like, wait, what? It can be this way too? Um, yeah, definitely. It's Mona has, if I had to choose one word to describe how it's been um, working with her, it's been easy. It's, I could literally throw her into any situation and she would just be fine. She would be confident. She would be playful. And she she always keeps me on my toes um something that you know i i think that a lot of us try to resist comparing um humans and dogs or at least i definitely have in the past coming from balance training but i whenever i look at mona i literally see a toddler it's like sometimes i have such a hard time trying to figure out what she's communicating to me and and for me to have to figure that out has actually been really, I think, enjoyable because I feel like it has strengthened our, our bond a lot more. Um, having a puppy who is actually like motivated by toys, motivated by praise, motivated by movement, all these other things has just made it so, so easy to work with her. And then, of course, there's the aspect that she loves people. Um I am dealing with, I'll say, of course, I don't like to use the word problems, but I'm dealing with opposite problems with Mona as I did with <laughs> Nobu. Um, Mona loves people. She loves people so much. And it is a breath of fresh air um, so much that she almost has zero focus on me, which is something that we're working on. But it's it's been fun. It's been fun and it's been easy. And I never imagined that dog ownership even with a puppy could be easy, could be described as easy. Um, it's just been totally different. Do you sometimes doubt and go like, is there something wrong? Like, is it supposed to be like this? Yeah, no, I have thought that because I, I hear from people all the time, like, oh, I don't like the puppy phase. Like I can't do puppies. Like it's too much work, the potty training, the, you know, feeling restricted by what you can do. You know, you can't leave the house all that often. I personally have not experienced that. Um, 
at all. And obviously everyone's different. Um, but like, as long as I meet her needs, you know, I play with her, I do some training enrichment. Um, as long as I meet all those things, she will go down for a nap for like anywhere between one to three hours. And it's during that time frame of one to three hours that I get everything done. <laughs> um, Just like of with course, real they're... toddlers. <laughs> no, literally. And that's why like I made that comparison earlier. Like I look at her and it's like, I'm looking at like a human baby or like a human toddler. Um, and of course that's not to say though, I definitely have my frustrations I don't want to make it seem like, oh, yeah, everything's like, you know, unicorns and rainbows. It's definitely not. But um, I think that the gravity of those frustrations is why I almost don't even consider them frustrating. Because, like, for example, with Nobu, um, I was worried literally about my own safety and whether or not he was going to bite me. With Mona, it's like, oh, my God, like, I just took her out to go potty, but then she just peed in the house. You know, like it's a totally different type of frustration. Um, it's it's just so different. And it's very like, like you said, like, oh, my God, dog ownership can be like this. I didn't know. <laughs> but and I do give a lot of credit to my breeder, of course, uh, you know, health tested, temperament tested. And she has a built-in off switch. I don't have to, you know, build that into her. And I hear from a lot of people, a lot of, I'll say, dog snobs, that a well-bred dog should have an off switch built into them. And Mona does have that. And it has definitely made life a lot easier. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. So where to from here on? So from here on, it's definitely just uh taking things slow of course her socialization period technically ends um actually this upcoming sunday she'll be 16 weeks old officially but i'm mostly just focusing on preparing her for the world right now um of course not like i haven't been doing that already this whole time but um she's at this point now where i can actually take her out to places and so i've been doing a lot of that um and the ultimate goal is to get her into sports. Um, I plan on starting her with scent work within the next few months. And I also would like to do an obedience class with her at like a training club. But I also just am really, really, really excited to go hiking with her. I have to wait a little bit longer yeah. to really start hikes because, of course, her joints aren't fully formed yet or anything like that. But I really just want to make her into the ultimate adventure dog. And I think that there's so many things that I could do with that. <laughs> but I'm just really looking forward to doing that with her. And also, of course, I have school starting up. Um, I have college. And I get asked a lot, how do you deal with a dog and college? <laughs> um, well, thankfully, I am a part-time student. I actually only have one class this upcoming semester. So no, um, you know, time is not going to be an issue when it comes to Mona. Um, but yeah, I'm just really looking forward to like sports and everything. Nice. So um, I'm just going to ask, like, is there anything that 
you feel is important that we haven't talked about? Like, what would you like to put out there for other people? Um, I think that we covered a lot of, uh, I think we covered a good bit when it comes to, I guess, uh, Nobu and myself and Mona, but if I had to put something else out there, it would probably be in regards to, I think, just behavioral euthanasia in general. Um, because I often see, for example, people, of course, it's interesting how the algorithm works. I start talking about behavioral euthanasia and suddenly I'm getting videos on my TikTok mm -hmm. for you page about people who have aggressive dogs and they don't know what to do and they've tried everything and what have you. And I often see a lot of people, even from people that I follow, because when you follow someone or, where you're, or when you're friends with them, their comments will pop up on the top of those videos. And I'll even see some of the people who supported me being so judgmental to this person who posted about their aggressive dog and they're upset and they don't know what to do. And I think I just want everyone to understand that a lot of us who go through this journey when it comes to behavioral euthanasia and having an aggressive dog, a lot of us are in denial or we may not be coming, I guess, we may not be fully understanding everything or we may not be realizing the true gravity of the situation, but that doesn't mean that we should be judged for it. If I had been openly sharing about Nobu's aggression on social media before I made the behavioral euthanasia announcement, I'm sure that people would be just as judgmental, but it's only because I like came to reality and then I started being public about it that I think people are so supportive. And I think that in general, we just all need to be more compassionate no matter how problematic or I guess ugly the journey is when it comes to having an aggressive dog. Um, because sure, maybe someone did something problematic, but that doesn't mean that you should hate them. That doesn't mean that you should say horrible things to them. We, we may be in denial, but we're still human at the end of the day. And I just think that, I just think that people need to have more compassion for things like that, because even if you're being irresponsible, maybe you just haven't been educated about it. Um, I know I wasn't, <laughs> but I also got lucky that I didn't share those things on social media. Otherwise, I probably would have been getting a lot more hate than I have now after the fact. You would have probably been publicly vilified even more. Yep. I also think a lot of the people who are judging and who are um, saying hateful things are, 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 are basically doing the same themselves. Like they're saying like, this person is a ter terrible person um, for behaving in X, Y, or Z way but they're not realizing that in the meantime, they're also not kind of behaving uh, or on their, are on their best behavior because they're also publicly shaming someone, which I, I in like my book of morals and values is also not the greatest um, thing to be doing. So I fully agree. Like, you know, you don't know, you never know. So the compassion is a really, really big part of it. I love that to, to end on, but of course we're not really ending yet because people who've been listening to previous episodes, they know that I always ask people to comment on the same three words at the end of every episode um, when it comes um, to the relationship with and their dogs, because in plural in this case, um, and their expectation 
frustration and celebration. If I put those words on the table, what comes up for you? So I think when it comes to expectations, um, when I think about expectations, I think about keeping them low. And that sounds weird, but when I think about keeping my expectations low, if I'm able to do that, that means that I'm setting my dog up for success. And we are able to do things, I guess, in an errorless manner. Um, so I don't, I try to set up the environment so that I don't have to expect super high things from my dogs. And when I shifted to that mindset, especially when crossing over to force free, that, um, that thought process really, really helped, I think. Um, and sorry, what's the next word again? <laughs> frustration. <laughs> frustration and celebration. and celebration. When I think about frustration, I think about regulating my own emotions as a dog guardian. Um, I find that sometimes it's not even worth it to get frustrated And getting, of course, being frustrated is 100% valid, but I don't want to get so frustrated that I think it's holding myself back or holding Mona back. Um, I just try not to let things get to me and really just move forward and problem solve. Um, and when it comes to celebration, I just want to, I guess really just look back mostly on Nobu um, and how even just like, despite the fact that things ended the way they did with behavioral euthanasia, the fact that we had gotten to a place with his reactivity, that he was almost a completely normal dog. That is something still that I can celebrate. And that is some, that is a celebration that is still valid. Um, even with how things ended I find that a lot of times people will be like, well, you euthanized your dog. So clearly force free, like that doesn't work. That's not worth celebrating. And I'm like, no, it's worth celebrating because even for a moment, he was at peace, you know, for just a little bit. So I think that's worth celebrating. Um, but I also, when I think about celebration, I think about all of the wonderful things that are to come with Mona and how I hope that we can, go really far so i'm looking forward to that awesome now of course people listening are thinking where can we follow this cute pup mona and honestly she is adorable if you see the pictures your heart's gonna melt i'm just warning you and they're by the way they're gorgeous images the ones you post um <laughs> where can they find out about you and mona So you can find us on both Instagram and TikTok under the same username, which is mybravemona. Awesome. Logan, thank you so much for sharing this story. I know it's not an easy story to share. I do know that it will help a lot of people and that it's important to get it out there. So like a, a double, very heartfelt. Thank you. No, and thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about Nobu especially and, and just share with others. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Same. Hey, if you're living with a dog who's a little rough around the edges or who may be ill or not well and you're dealing with anxiety and stress around that, you might want to consider joining my one-on-one -on -one coaching program. 
which is where we work on your mindset, not on your dog, to make life with your dog more fun again. Maybe you just want to feel a little more confident taking your dog out on walks, or maybe you want to care a little bit less about what other people say and be able to shake off, as they say, hurtful remarks a little easier. We address all of these things in my coaching program and I tailor it specifically to you and your needs. That's the beauty of one-on-one. To find out more or to sign up directly for a free consult, you can go to my website, kaisafanoverbeg.com, which, you know, to find out how you spell that, just go to the podcast details and you'll see how to spell my name. And by the way, that website is also where you can find the show notes for all of the episodes. So if you want to go to somebody's Insta or find out more about a trainer or something that we mentioned, all of that is there on the website. And by the way, if you like this podcast, could I pretty please with cream on top invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Google Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast, because it helps the podcast be found better and that way we can help more people feel less alone.